Hello and welcome to this podcast in the At Any Rate channel of JP Morgan. I am Luis Oganes, uh, Head of Global Macro Research, and I'm joined by my colleagues, Sad Siddiqui, Senior Strategist in the EM Strategy Team, and Tania Escobedo, who focuses on Latin America within Sad's team, to discuss a report that they just published titled Mexican Peso, Not Your Padre's Peso, uh, discussing the structural forces that are reshaping the dynamics of the Mexican Peso. Certainly, as an old-timer in emerging markets, I would say that uh, I have uh, uh, grown in this asset class uh, to see the Mexican peso as the ultimate hedge for any EM portfolio. And I recall that there was a time when actually the peso was used to hedge any uh, uh, other asset class. Uh, and this is because uh, uh, it was the sixth most liquid currency in the planet uh, compared to many developed market currencies. Uh, it was uh, the only deliverable currency, certainly in Latin America. It was traded uh, 24 hours. Uh, people in Asia, when Latin America was sleeping, could actually trade the Mexican peso. And uh, rates were not uh, as high as in other places, which meant that uh, shorting the peso when you needed to hedge or reduce or de-risk was actually convenient and cheap. So obviously, a lot has uh, changed uh, in the structure of the Mexican economy, in the dynamics and the drivers for the Mexican peso. And this report brings some of these uh, issues to the fore. So maybe, Sad, to start this discussion, let's start with a recap of what has been happening with the Mexican peso in recent years and how it challenges the perception that investors have of this currency. So, Luis, uh, first of all, thanks for having us on. So it's, it's true that um, over the last couple of decades, maybe last 25 years, ever since uh, you had the Mexican peso crisis in the mid-90s and in the aftermath of that, the Mexican peso has been considered by most investors as the ultimate and most convenient all-purpose hedge for not just EMFX risk, but more generally for risk appetite uh, as well. And what we are claiming is that now it's time for investors to, sh to shed that perception because the nature of this currency is changing. And, uh, you know, one might ask, well, does the leopard ever change its spots? Um, and what we would argue is that if you just look back at history for the Mexican peso, it's actually been through over the last few centuries, many different regimes. You know, in the 18th and 19th centuries, the Mexican silver dollar was actually a global reserve currency. And then it went through a period in the 70s, 80s, 90s, going through Latin American crisis. It gave birth to what was called the peso problem uh, in the 70s, and then you know finding a trough uh, in the 90s uh, during that, the Mexican peso crisis. So it has seen many different regime shifts uh, through history. The most recent regime has been Mexican peso as the ultimate hedge. But things have been changing, and the evidence has kind of been gathering for the last couple of years, last few years. Uh, first has been the bulletproof performance of the currency. So whether you look at it on a five-year, two-year, one-year, even a seven-year horizon, the Mexican peso has effectively been the best performing EM currency in total return terms. Its um, volatility has also been falling on a trend basis. So it used to be the case that Mexican peso volatility, both realized and implied, used to be above the EM average, uh, and now it's actually below the EM average. And I think most investors and market participants haven't really given this too much of a deep thought. They give mostly ad hoc 
short-term and cyclical reasons to explain why the performance has been better, you know, maybe because rates are high or something else is happening for global risk appetite. But in this report, we identify three important structural forces which are changing the nature of this currency on a more permanent basis. Uh, those forces are the structural rise of remittances. Remittances we know are a more stable and sticky form of financing. So that's a big shift. It used to be the case that oil was the single largest source of dollar inflows to Mexico, and now it has been overtaken by remittances. Number two, to one of the points you made, Luis, is that actually the Mexican peso is not the most liquid currency in emerging markets anymore. And it's not because it's become less liquid. It's just that other currencies have made much greater progress in leaps and bounds in becoming more liquid Asian currencies, for example, which means you've got alternative ways to hedge your EM portfolios and cheaper ways to hedge. Uh, and the third force, which is admittedly in the future and not uh, something current, but it could actually be quite big, uh, are the expected future benefits from nearshoring uh, via FDI and increased exports. And as we'll discuss in a few minutes, I think there are some uh, you know, raise positive rays of light on that front. So you mentioned there are uh, three forces, uh, Sat. So let's start uh, uh, going one by one uh, that are, are underpinning this Mexican peso transformation. So starting with uh, remittances, what is the role in the Mexican economy of remittances? How do you think that they will cope uh, with an eventual huge recession if it ever happens? That's right, Luis. So remittances have always been an important source of dollar inflows for the Mexican economy but they've never been as dominant as they have become in the past few years. So it used to be the case that oil, for example, was the single largest source of dollar inflows for the Mexican economy uh, over the last couple of decades, but it has been overtaken quite dramatically by remittance inflows um, from Mexican workers in the United States uh, in the past few years. So in the last five years, remittances into Mexico have doubled from $30 billion to $60 billion on an annualized basis. So that's in terms of uh, GDP going from about 2.5% of GDP to just over 4% uh, of GDP. Remittances now comfortably finance the entirety of Mexico's trade deficit in both goods and services. Uh, now, what we know about remittance flows uh, from our experience looking at other emerging markets where remittances are large, is that these flows tend to be stickier, they tend to be less cyclical, and less volatile than other BOP items. Structurally, therefore, I think that should serve to dampen the overall volatility of Mexico's balance of payments. And by extension, that means that the currency should also become uh, less volatile. Now, uh, we model how these remittances uh, should evolve in the future. Now, just mathematically, remittance flows are a function of the total number of uh, workers abroad times their income times the share of their income that they send back uh, to their home country. Now, in Mexico's case, uh, a large, all of those three components uh, have been uh, going in, in a favorable direction in the last couple of years, but really the lion's share is coming from both uh, the fact that Mexican workers in the US are, have benefited from higher than average wage growth, and they've also increased their share of income that they are sending uh, back home. Now, when, when we try to model that and 
even if you assume that the the share of income kind of drops from here and you have only very modest growth in the total number of workers and their wage growth is going to be more akin to the average uh, of of the overall economy that still means that for you know remittances are going to be you know relatively high and elevated and probably trending higher over the medium term now the natural question is does this make the kind of mexico's economy even more reliant or dependent on the us business cycle on the lay, on the us labor market now what i would say is again going back to our experience of how remittances behave in other economies remittance flows tend to be uh, much less volatile and have a low beta to the host country's labor market so for example if the us unemployment rate were to increase you know to from where it is right now just under you know 3 and 1/2% 4% type of range and if it would go to say 5 or 5 and 1/2% uh, the drop you'd expect in remittances would be less than proportional uh, to any weakening in the labor market. Uh, if you compare that to say how uh, oil prices might behave if the U.S. were to go into a recession, you know, oil revenues could fall uh, by much more. You know, oil prices uh, can fall by well over double-digit percentage points, and revenues uh, directly hit the balance of payments immediately. So in a sense uh, I think Mexico's BOP becomes less sensitive to the gyrations of the US business cycle as a result. It's interesting is that remittances uh, are going up uh, even though uh, the statistics of net uh, migration uh, from Mexico to the US has reversed or at least is not uh, booming as it used to in the past. So let's focus on the other uh, second um uh, factor uh, that uh, was mentioned earlier uh, Tanya maybe switching to you. The peso, uh, the peso's drop in volatility you know, has been quite striking. It has played a key role in the performance of the currency that Saad mentioned uh, before. What do you think is behind this behavior, and why do you think that it will persist? Of course, thank you, Luis, uh, for that. That's a great question. So yes, MXN's lower volatility definitely stands out as one of the pivotal changes driving the currency's impressive performance in recent years. And from the analysis that we have done on the topic, we have concluded that it is most likely a persistent rather than a temporary phenomenon, and that we should expect a permanent impact in the way investors will perceive the currency going forward. Um, and the reason for this is that this change in the volatility profile is the product of structural changes in the global EMFX markets that are here to stay and that have led to a dual substitution effect for MXX. So on the one hand, new currencies in emerging markets have gained more relevance in global FX trading. And on the other, the peso's appeal as an efficient hedge has, has diminished in the past years. So let me elaborate a little bit on these two elements. On the first point, the increased liquidity in EM currencies means that there are now more alternatives to hedge EM portfolios. So whereas once the Mexican peso was the most convenient all-purpose EM hedge vehicle, it has now been overtaken by the internationalization and growing transaction volumes in other EM currencies, which with particular emphasis in Asia, of course. Um, this loss of market share has been a blessing in disguise for the Mexican peso because it no longer has to carry the burden of hedging the problems of an entire region. And this loss of hedge status also means a structural lower implied and realized volatility. <clears throat> now, I think it's also relevant to discuss how these forces can lead to a virtuous cycle where falling realized volatility drags down implied volatility and then 
As hedges failed to perform as expected, investors also reduced their positioning in the options market, and that leads to a further fall in implied volatility and skews. So you can see how all of these factors can combine to reduce risk premium and ultimately resulting in spot appreciation, which I think aligns very neatly with what we have seen in recent years. And I'm staying with you. Uh, there's a lot of talk about uh, nearshoring these days, uh, something that uh, um, Sad also mentioned at the beginning uh, seems to be a factor here. Uh, how do you assess the potential for new investment in Mexico at a time frame that you know you think that it could materialize, uh, you know, given all these U.S.-China tensions that are mushrooming? Of course. So of the three factors that we focus on um, in our analysis, the new shoring is more speculative for now, because if you look at hard data, the actual benefits from new shoring are yet to be seen in FDI inflows, for example. Still, we do think that there's enough anecdotal evidence to conclude that this reallocation phenomenon has the potential to add another layer, um, a, a sizable source of stable inflows complementing remittances, for example. Service on the matter suggests that the benefits of nearshoring are likely to become more visible in hard data over the next two to three years. And in some Mexican states that are at leading edge of nearshoring, such as Nuevo León, FDI has already started to pick up and is now at all-time highs, which is probably a prelude of what we could see in other industrial areas. Uh, but ultimately, regardless of whether the investment in capacity is from domestic or external so sources, it, um, it should eventually boost export capacity over over the long run. And uh, looking further ahead, it's uh, it's important to say that whether or not these nearshoring opportunities can be translated into long-lasting economic benefits for the country will also depend on how Mexico uh, tackles some of the main challenges it faces, which include you know lack of sufficient infrastructure, uh, scarce security access to energy, water, even in some areas. So we will be paying a lot of attention to the policy responses on those areas. Um, for now, and after the plethora of investment announcements that we have seen from multinationals in recent months, we think that the expected inflows for the next couple of years at least should be enough to keep the external accounts stable in Mexico and to serve as a buffer to the potential deceleration in the U.S. business cycle. Well, remains to be seen what happens there. I was in Mexico City uh, last month. I did sense some improvement in the business environment, you know, maybe not warranted uh, yet, but certainly a lot of speculation as to whether we may see, you know, a redirection of FDI flows into Mexico on the back of these global geopolitical shifts. So uh, going back to uh, a bit more market sad uh, valuations, um, you mentioned five years of stellar performance. Uh, there is a perception that the Mexican peso might already be misaligned with its fundamentals. Uh, what do you think about this notion, and do you expect uh, what do you expect going forward? Yes. So uh, many investors, their main, um, uh, you know, kind of concern about Mexican peso is about its valuation after having seen such a strong appreciation trend over the last, um, you know, two to five years. Um, I think we should, if we're if we agree with this premise that you know we may be coming towards some type of structural change here then we need to take a much more longer term look at mexico's um, valuations and if you look at the real effective exchange rate say over the past 30 years um you know we're barely above that 30-year average right now so what's been happening luis is that over the past couple of decades 
when the Mexican peso had this, you know, reputation and uh, kind of utility as an all-purpose hedge, the real effective exchange rate was effectively depreciating over the best part of two decades, which is a staggeringly long period for an emerging market currency to to see real uh, exchange rate depreciation. So I think all we've done in the past few years is reversed a little bit of that trend depreciation. We're only, as I mentioned, uh, just a little bit above those 30-year averages. So from that long-term perspective, um, especially uh, if one thinks that things could be changing here structurally, I don't think that the case for overvaluation is a strong one. Certainly, the price uh, return on Mexican peso has been strong, but that in itself does not mean overvaluation. One, one could argue that it was actually coming from a level of quite a lot of undervaluation uh, to begin with. Um, that said, I think the caveat is it's always difficult to talk about valuations when we are at um, these kind of inflection points structurally uh, for any asset price. And so a lot of the models, the traditional models that people are using that might say that the Mexican peso is overvalued, those types of models will effectively embed this trend depreciation of the currency into it. And then and they will miss uh, that when, when you have these structural changes, um, those models tend to uh, fall apart pretty quickly. You know, in terms of how to, uh, you know, tactically view this currency. A lot of these structural factors we've mentioned are, uh, you know, some might be a little bit more slower moving, some might be in the in the future. Uh, I think it's also worth emphasizing that the cyclical and tactical forces are also quite supportive of continued appreciation for the Mexican peso. So it's got very high carry, both in real and nominal terms. The imbalances in the economy are quite low right now. So the current account balance, uh, for example, is, uh, is, is pretty well contained. The Fed seems to be coming towards the end of its hiking uh, cycle as well. So I think those forces can continue to exert uh, appreciation pressure uh, in the coming months uh, as well. These structural forces are volatility dampeners, and they give us confidence that when you do have these periodic corrections in markets that you know, it's not going to be something which is long lasting and can fade. Um, ultimately, of course, uh, trend appreciation over a longer term is going to require greater productivity. Um, and this is why the things that you mentioned, Luis, and what Tanya mentioned earlier about being able to fully exploit uh, the opportunities from nearshoring is going to be very important. And that requires not just FDI flow, but kind of broader business friendly policies that can help. Um, kind of raise productivity over the longer term. Certainly, uh, you know, if if uh, there's structural change underway, you know, maybe we need to be cautious of using models with parameters based on history because there may not be that kind of mean reversion that uh, the model would suggest. So maybe last question to you, Tanya. You know, what is your current view on the Mexican peso now and local bonds? What are you discussing with investors? Sure, um, we like both. We like the MXN and we like uh, we like local bonds as well. Um, our rationale for liking these assets is primarily cyclical, and it involves uh, all of the reasons that Sat was talking about. Uh, we are looking at the high carry, the low imbalances in the economy, the very light foreign position in M bonus, for example. All of those things are taken into consideration. Uh, but beyond that, our conviction in thinking that Mexican assets will perform through periodic sell-offs this year has been 
mostly reinforced by the structural forces that we have discussed today. So in essence, and kind of to sum everything up, we, we don't think that sell-offs or corrections in Mexican assets for now are going to be meaningful enough for us to change our constructive view um, of those assets, at least at current prices. Thanks, Tanya. Thanks, Sad, for joining me in this discussion. Certainly a lot going for the peso. It looks like it's structural, not just uh, uh, cyclical. So, uh, well, time will tell. Hopefully, <laughs> Mexico will take advantage of uh, the unique uh, uh, set of uh, opportunities that are presenting itself uh, uh, for the in the years ahead. Uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, we invite you, for those that are clients of JP Morgan, to take a look at this uh, report, Mexican Peso, not your Patres Peso, uh, that you can find in uh, JP Morgan Markets. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please refer to JP Morgan Research Reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. 2023, JP Morgan Chase & Company, all rights reserved. This episode was recorded on 27th July, 2023.